Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Hello, and welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I'm your guest host, Lisa Finkel, and I'm here because it's time for our very first edition of Ask Stacy for 2017. Glad to be uh, back in the rotation with you, Stacy. Lisa, thanks again for uh, guest hosting the show. Yesterday was Love Your Pet Day, so I want to know how did you love both of your kitty cats yesterday? <laughs> well, I actually had some leftover holiday presents for my cats that I got from the uh, Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society's uh, holiday open house. I got a whole package of toys and one of my cats is very sensitive to catnip, and so these toys were all very powerful, so I've had to sort of spread it out. You know, I have to release things on, you know, a time-release basis, I guess. So Hooch, who goes really crazy on catnip, um, I gave him a new toy yesterday. Just gave him lots of lots of love. Um, my other cat, Misha, is not too excited about being pet. And also, I tried to get the perfect selfie. So for folks that are doing the My Feline Valentine's selfie campaign that runs until February 28th. Get those selfies in, love your pet, and show us how much you love them, and send them on in, and you could win a $50 Amazon gift card or uh, some other prizes uh, from Cheryl Richardson. I love the idea of cat selfies. That's such a great idea for celebrating uh, our love for our cats, not just for Valentine's Day and Love Your Pet Day, but beyond. So that's just uh, great. I have also have a cat who loves love. I have one who loves love and one who not so much. <laughs> I just said nice things to him. So today, I thought we could talk about uh, the challenge that really, really frequently faces so many of the grassroots TNR organizations out there, which is how do you take a handful of dedicated trappers and caretakers, which is very frequently how these groups start, and turn that into a larger, more impactful organization to be able to basically help more cats. Before the show, you shared with me uh, your five tenets of building an organization to help community cats. And so I thought maybe we could go through that list of five and uh, talk a little bit about each one of them so that folks can kind of get a grasp on how just to grow their efforts. Uh, your first tenet is understand your community. Uh, what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, it's a pretty open-ended uh, statement there. So understanding your community before you can really launch into a project for a small group, large group, really any group, you need to understand what your challenges are and what the community represents. So there's two really strong components to that. So one is the size of your community. So if you're two or three people and you're living in New York City, your community, if you have New York City as your whole community, that's a pretty overwhelming and daunting population. If you are in a a small rural town where I live, dealing with maybe about 1,400 people, if you're a group of two to three people, you could pretty much cover your whole community with the needs uh, for cats in that town. So really understanding the scale, your proportion to the proportion of your community 
And then defining that area by population. So if you are three people and you're in New York City, maybe you choose a city block or even a city street or a few, a few uh, buildings and assess what your cat population size would be. So a quick way to try and get an estimate of the number of free roaming cats that are going to need assistance based on a human population model is you take your human population of that community and you can divide it by anywhere between 20 and upwards of 40, depending on how aggressive spay-neuter has been in that community already. So if you're in an area where there's been no trap-neuter return, no community cat programs, you're going to choose the lower number. So you'll choose the number of 20. But if you're in an area where there's been a lot of very progressive programs, then you'll choose the higher number because then there'll be fewer cats that need assistance. So really trying to get an understanding of what the human population is to the cat population, and then finally to the wealth of the community. So if you're dealing with a population, an area where the median income is $35,000 or below, you're going to have a higher rate of community cats that are going to need assistance. So that's another factor when you're looking at figuring out how many cats are going to need your help. Ideally, if you are a group of two to three people, I would not choose an area that has more than 500 cats that need assistance. You want to be able to be impactful. You want to be successful. You can always grow later, but really try and define your community in an area where you're going to be able to be successful. You can celebrate your successes. You can share your successes. And then from that, you'll get the extra support to be able to grow your program and bring more volunteers in and donors to grow it, to be able to expand and reach another needy community. That's very interesting. I never knew that there would possibly be, it makes sense as I think about it, a correlation between um, average annual income of an area and the number of cats. Yeah, I mean, one of the lines that I've always thought of and have heard many times is that as your income level goes down, the number of cats you have go up. As your income level goes down for dog owners, the number of dogs you have goes down. So it's with cat owners, the poorer you get, the more cats you have. With dog owners, the poorer you get, the fewer dogs you have. So really, I think of cats as pets of the poor because obviously they don't have access. That population is not having, getting access for their cats to get them spayed or neutered, and that's how the population is growing. Wow. That's, a, that's really an interesting. So second of your tenets is to build a skills matrix. Um, what do you mean by that? And also, what skills do you think are really essential to building a sustainable uh, community cats program? Yeah, so skills are critical when you're sitting around the uh, meeting room or having a conference call with various participants. Um, you need to make sure you've got the skills matrix at least somewhat full or you're actively recruiting to fill that skills matrix. Many organizations use a skills matrix for their board of directors, and, and it's a really good tool so that they can make sure that they have a lawyer, that they have a financial person that they have a marketing person, a fundraising person, all of these components. And I think that 
it's even important to use that matrix, not just at the board level, but at the full organizational level. So you could be looking at an organization that maybe the board level, they have all these skills filled, but they're not the ones doing the doing. And so you need to look at your staff. You need to look at your volunteers. Do you have marketing strength there? Do you have fundraising strength there? And operations, human resources, that's huge, you know, to have. And Many people, if we're talking about the small TNR groups, obviously we're all wearing many hats. Using a skills matrix is really the first step in helping you be able to grow your organization and always think about growth first um, because you cannot be, I don't think you can stay sustainable for more than five or six years if you're a two to three person organization. I think at that point in time, you'll hit burnout and your organization isn't going to be able to function that well. For those of you that have gone on longer than that, boy, God bless you. You must have the longevity and this the stamina of you know amazing, amazing people. But you really need to have the support of more more people, and that skills matrix is so important. And the other thing in there, which is a little bit outside of the box, but I wanted to mention it too, is the importance of understanding your spay neuter capacity in the community. Because if you're in an area where you have no access to to affordable spay neuter, then you're just going to be banging against a brick wall. Um, And so if your community does not have access to affordable spay neuter, I think that has to be the number one topic on the agenda is how do we get that into our community before even addressing other issues. I just, I think it's, it's a game changer, but in order to bring a clinic into a community, you need nonprofit management, you need marketing communications, you need fundraising, finance, you know, legal assistance. So it's all the same components that are really important, but sustainability, it's, it's a key word. And if you are two to three person, show you do need to think about sustainability for the future. Those are great ideas for what skills you need. And one thing I'll say that I've learned about you, Stacey, in the time we've worked together is um, you're never afraid to ask people what they can do. And I think that's really important. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's very important uh, as you grow is not being afraid to ask people for help. Let's talk about your third tenant. If you have the right skills on board, how do you delegate tasks? That's the third tenet. It seems pretty self-explanatory, but it, it's quite important. And I think it's very difficult. Um, I think it's actually one of the most challenging tenants out there because you just mentioned it. You were saying how I'm pretty good about asking people what they do, what their skills are. And then while I'm asking that question, I'm thinking in the back of the mind, my mind, what is it that I can get them to to do, you know, to help further our cause. If somebody says that they're an expert at making purple ice cream, I'll be like, okay, well then we'll have a fundraiser for purple ice cream profiling certain cats that we have or something, you know? So I'm always trying to think about how people can help us and how we can help them. And, and it sometimes isn't a perfect match. It sometimes doesn't work. But it's always worth trying, I think, because then sometimes you're going to hit the ball out of the park. But if you don't ask, you're not going to get that engagement. And the other thing, too, that's important is that the more people you bring in, 
the more support, donor support you're going to get. Because if you have a lot of volunteers, those volunteers are much more likely to donate to your organization by being volunteers than they would if they were not physically engaged with the organization. So it makes your fundraising a lot easier too by having more people participate in the work that you're doing, and then you do feel more support. One other task as a leader of an organization, one thing that I always tasked myself with was every week to offload one thing off my plate to somebody else. So if I was going to do that, I had to find people that had those skills to be able to take that one thing off my to-do list to put it on their list or to make that part of their volunteer position or their staff position. That was an objective that I had every week. And I'm pretty good about asking people for help. And I oftentimes didn't make that goal. Absolutely right. It's just so important to not think you can do it all yourself. There are you know, some people out there who don't want to delegate because they're afraid it won't be done quite their way. But I think you have to overcome that fear, huh? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, the mantra that I've repeated to myself millions of times, and I repeat it to others, you know, is that people all brush their teeth in different ways. But the important part is at the end of the day, the teeth are clean. We just have to focus on, you know, giving people the appropriate guidance that they need and but also let them take ownership of a task, too. And so if they have ideas on how to tweak things and change things, hopefully for the better, you know, it's it's let them go. But it is a very careful give and take. It's hard because it involves a lot more communication and sort of supervising, but yet you're going to be able to scale your organization up to a much larger size. If you like the Community Cats podcast and would like to help promote Community Cats in your state, then we need you. We're looking for a couple of people from each state to be Community Cats ambassadors. What do you get by being an ambassador? You'll be mailed a promo kit of items to use to help promote the show at any event that you attend in your state. If you don't attend many events, hey, that's okay too. Do you have a network of people that love community cats? You can help with email and groups in your state to let them know about the CCP and offer them the benefit of community cat swag. The more we can spread the word about the show, the more we can do to help cats across the country. Please email Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com if you'd like to represent your state. Thank you. <coughs> Ever feel like you are overwhelmed by all the paperwork for your community cats? On Thursday, February 23rd at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, we are holding a webinar about Cat Stats, a free database tool that will help keeping track of your colonies easy to do. To sign up, check out communitycatspodcast.com or email Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com. You talked a little bit about getting your volunteers to become also donors. So your fourth tenet is to communicate with your donors and volunteers. I've got kind of two questions. What methods can you use to do that effectively? What outreach sources? And also, what do you want to communicate with those people? There's different levels of communication. At a, a small-sized organization, I would almost have your donors and your volunteers in the same communication pot because your donors are inevitably going to be very engaged with what you're doing on a daily basis. As you get larger, you may want to segment out your donors to receive different kinds of communications than your volunteers, but you want everybody to feel like they're all part of the team. And so I think in the beginning, it's perfectly fine to have the same kinds of communications, the same type of content to both groups. Um, you can use it via Facebook page, 
direct emails. You could set up a free MailChimp account um, and send out that way. I even think there's some usage in there with Google Docs to a certain certain extent. If you want to expand over multiple platforms, meaning like Twitter and Instagram, there are things like Hootsuite and CoSchedule that you can use, but that's getting probably bigger and bolder. I personally feel like most most of our groups live on Facebook, and that's the main platform that you should focus on building and relating with people. So I've been working with a much smaller group recently, and pretty much all of our communications is out on Facebook, and people are looking at us on Facebook not necessarily the website. We've got a very small email listing. Um, and so we're really utilizing Facebook as a place of contact contact, and then email sort of as a backup. The things that I would communicate are, you know, information about fundraising needs, volunteer needs, um, opportunities. Any sort of leader of any organization has all these different sort of opportunities coming their way, and it's how do you sort those out or who else can take ownership of those opportunities. So you you know, you know just sort of put it all out there. You kind of you live the day, and obviously the stories, the stories about the work that's being done out on the streets, um, celebrate those stories. I try to even have a set schedule on Facebook, a communication schedule, so that there's like... Tuesday is education day, so you put something educational out there. Wednesday, you put a volunteer opportunity out there. Friday, it, for this particular organization, is Kitten Friday. So we always put like a kitten video on Fridays to make everybody feel happy about going into the weekend. Then we report on our stories, you know, Monday and Thursday, reporting on the, the stories from the organization um, or anything else that we need to sort of fill in the gaps of of things. But, you know, try and create a structure that helps keep you honest. With Facebook, it's great because you can schedule everything ahead of time. So you might have Thursdays be always your fundraising day. So that's the day you promote your I give, your smile, Amazon smile, your vehicle donation. That's the day you sort of have these standing informational fundraisers that you want to always promote. Um, on a regular basis because it takes everybody a million times to see anything before they remember it. Give yourself as much of a structure as possible and then it won't be so overwhelming. Then the communications will happen, but you don't have to be doing it on demand. You can do it pre-scheduled at your convenience rather than at the receiver's convenience. That's a great idea. I know we use it a lot um, at MRFRS, I know you use it for this podcast at well, and uh, as well at Cubcats. I think it's really important to uh, not overwhelm people with tons of Facebook posts, but make your posts really meaningful and effective. And also, obviously, with cats, <laughs> fun to look at. The fifth and final tenet is review and evaluate. How frequently should a group do this, uh, and what metrics should they use? to evaluate their success and their Yeah, this is needs. my favorite one. I love this stuff. So, yeah, I would say the executive the leadership team, so it's probably these 2 to 3 people that are really the core group of this team. They should set goals annually and then evaluate them quarterly. What type of goals they set and back in January we really focused the Community Cats podcast on goal setting. And I would really love to hear from folks what goals they did set. And so if you want to email me at stacy at communitycatspodcast.com with some of your goals, I would be really thrilled to hear what folks have done 
And I want to thank folks for downloading the, uh, the sheet that we put together, and I hope if you found it beneficial. But I would really recommend that you look at your goals quarterly and the metrics, what your goals are, are really what you're looking for for your own your own group. So one group might want to focus on a target area and really get to that goal of reaching 500 cats in that target area. You know, another group might say, well, we want to do 10 visits to a local school with a, you know, education program. For the purpose of looking at a trap, neuter, return organization, you know, I would certainly have there be a geographic target area with a specific number as as a goal and an objective. I know many organizations look at the local shelter and their live release rates as a measure of success. I'm not necessarily convinced that's a great way to value your effectiveness as a trap, neuter, return organization. I think taking a geo-targeted area and really striving to get that area um, accomplished. You can look at complaint calls to the local animal control officer, postings on Craigslist from that area. But really, I would just be eye on the prize and just say, I'm going for X amount of cats in this target area, and that's what we're going to strive to achieve this year. Keep Keep it it simple. simple. That's right. It makes it easier to gauge your success. Is there anything else you want to share during this episode, Stacey, that's going on uh, in the Community Cats podcast? Just stepping back a bit in that review and evaluate session, I would like to mention that I, I have a great time working with organizations, helping them set their goals, develop a vision. I do offer that as a consulting service. So if anybody is interested in having any help with their groups, I'd be happy to talk with them. Just email me at stacy at communitycatspodcast.com. Feel free to do that. I just love helping groups find a clear path going forward. And then also just a couple of uh, housekeeping reminders. So today is February 21st. And our Cat Stats webinar is on February 23rd at 2 p.m. Eastern time. And so this is sort of our last call for signing up for that webinar. You can sign up for it uh, going to www.communitycatspodcast.com. And to find out more about Cat Stats, you can just go to catstats.org and um, see what that is. But if you ever have a headache or nightmare and tracking all that paperwork on those community cats in your colonies, CatStats is here to save the day. And then we also have, for the month of February, our My Feline Valentine campaign. Thanks, Lisa, for the, for the line. And it runs until February 28th. For anyone who's tried to take selfies with their cats, it's not an easy task to do. But we do have prizes for the best selfies um, that will be announced on March 8th. And we have been putting pictures up on our Facebook page of, of some of the best selfies that have come in. So I hope you've been checking that out. But don't hesitate to get your My Feline Valentine selfie in with you and your cat. And we'll get you in the running for a $50 gift card to Amazon and some other prizes from Cheryl Richardson. Well, there's lots going on, um, which is so exciting considering the fact that uh, it's really just seven short months ago that uh, the podcast debuted. And I know that we're getting um, more downloads every month, which means uh, more downloads means hopefully more cats helped. Yeah, yeah. The month of January, we had just over 3,000 downloads just for the month alone, and we're um, almost over 15,000 downloads. Terrific. 
Well, Stacy, thank you so much for taking the time to do an episode, and we'll be talking to you again soon. Thanks so much, Lisa. Do you have the perfect selfie with you and one of your cats to share with us for Valentine's Day? Submit your photos to our My Feline Valentine contest and enter to win prizes. A $50 Amazon gift card, books from New York Times bestselling author Cheryl Richardson. Cheryl Richardson's team will be judging the selfies to determine who should win a prize. Winners will be announced on March 8th. As we get submissions, we'll also be sharing some of our best photos on our Facebook page, so keep a lookout there. Check out communitycatspodcast.com to find out how to submit your selfie. 